0: Our sermon text today is Mark twelve twenty-eight to thirty-four. As as you recall, the last few weeks leading up to this, uh, Jesus cleansed the temple, and after that, uh, the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking to destroy him. And this led to a series of confrontations that we read about in Mark eleven and Mark twelve. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders questioned his authority. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. The Pharisees and the Herodians tried to trap him in his words and in what he was saying. And the Sadducees, just last week we looked at, confronted him regarding the resurrection. And this brings us to yet one more final question asked of Jesus, posed here in today's text. If you're able now, please rise once more out of respect for God's Word as I read to you Mark 12, verses 28 to 34. This is the inspired Word of God. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he had answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right teacher you have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices and when jesus saw that he had answered wisely he said to him you are not far from the kingdom of god And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and for practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Would you pray with me once more? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it even now. We thank you for... Uh, the opportunity we have to hear your voice even today. Uh, may it be so. Speak to us, Lord. give us eyes to hear and eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive your truth and speak not because of me, but even in spite of me, Lord. Uh, speak to us each now, that we might hear, that we might know and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the last uh, few weeks we've seen this series of questions asked of Jesus and they've been quite uh, disingenuous questions, I guess we could call them. Uh, They're questions that people have asked not because they're wanting to learn from Jesus, but because they're looking to trip him up. They're looking to catch him in his words. They're looking to prove him Wrong, But the scribe who comes today asking a question is coming from a different posture, a different mindset. He shows us a far better model of how we should approach Jesus. We see in this model that he sets that our interactions with Jesus must be filled with humility. They must be filled with agreement and they must be filled with application. First off, our interactions with Jesus must be filled with humility. Humility ought to be the the very posture with which we approach Jesus. And now I want to be careful. When I say humility, you might be hearing something other than what I'm trying to say. Uh, Sometimes when people think about humility, they think of kind of a a worm mentality. Oh, I'm terrible. Or kind of that, that Eeyore mindset like, oh, woe is me. Everything you know—that's no, not what I'm talking about when I talk about humility. It's rather about having an accurate viewpoint of yourself that is unbiased and and accurate. It's it's hard to do this because we naturally are prone. To bias toward ourselves, right? I, I just yesterday was watching uh, my Mizzou Tigers fight valiantly, although not victoriously, against the Georgia Bulldogs in, in a football game yesterday. And uh, it was really funny to me to look at uh, the online responses the people had to the games as, as, they, as they responded to it, talked about the game the one thing that fans of both Mizzou and Georgia 100% agreed on was that the officials in yesterday's game were absolutely terrible. If you listen to the Mizzou fans, it was quite certain that the only reason we lost the game was because the referees were clearly in Georgia's pocket. You know, the referees want Georgia to win. They're the number one team. They want them to do well. And so they're, they're making them win. So they called everything against Mizzou. And did you see that terrible call in the second quarter? And there was that terrible call and so forth and so on. The only problem with that is if you go and listen to the Georgia fans, they said, my goodness, that would have been a 50-point win if not for the fact that the referees were totally against us all game long. They were watching the same game, but they each were informed by a bias that they had, right? <laughs> right? They, they, they saw it through the prism of that bias, and that's how we see life. That's just how we naturally see things. We see it through the prism of a bias. And, and our biases tend to be in favor of ourselves. And so that's what humility is, is, is ridding ourselves of this bias, getting getting rid of it, not seeing ourselves as completely worthless because we're not completely worthless. We are created in the image of God and as such of inestimable worth. But we tend to think of ourselves a little more highly than we ought. right? It's not that we're nothing, it's that God is everything, right? And so we have to see ourselves in light of how we see God. and 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 as we see ourselves in light of him, we will start to no longer see the world as revolving around us with God existing for our sake. Rather, we will see him as central and our existing being for his good. Last week, we talked about the power of Christ Jesus, and we referred to two passages, one in Colossians 1 and one in Hebrews 1. I'm gonna go back there again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And, and that Hebrews 1 passage, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Christ Jesus is magnificent. And however many words we come up with and how flowery our language is and how wonderfully we put it, we will always far, fall short of how glorious he is. Right? He is as wonderful and amazing as you could possibly imagine, multiplied by a thousand times, times a thousand times, times a thousand times. Right? And so when we begin to see him that way, it helps us to be a little bit more humble about who we are. Right? Because you might really think of yourself as, as really hot stuff. right? And, and, but when you see Jesus and then look back to yourself, you're kind of like, oh, Oh, maybe not, right? Because, because you, you can look at the, the world around us and, 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 and you say, well, I'm kind of better than that guy, right? Yeah, I'm kind of better than, than she is. I'm smarter, I'm, I'm, I'm kinder, I'm, I'm more, more humble for sure than them. But when we look to Jesus, we see that the, the, the marker is quite different. We look at all he has done, we realize his greatness and his power and his wisdom and his faithfulness and his holiness and his his purity and his truth. And this ought to humble us. It ought to cause us to say, wow, I have got a long way to go. I don't measure up. I'm not what I ought to be. So we need to constantly not be looking to the world, but constantly be looking to Jesus founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. We tend to look within, right? We we look within, we look at ourselves, we focus on ourselves, but what we need to be doing is looking to Jesus. And as we look to Jesus, this both requires humility and it encourages humility humility right look to jesus because behind beyond that we need a further humility that that realizes that even our looking to him is not something that we have done, that we have accomplished, but rather something we can only do if God is at work in us, right? We've seen it all the way throughout Mark that the only way we can see who Jesus is and what he's doing, the only way that we can truly hear what he is saying and understanding is if God gives us eyes to see and ears to to hear. That's been a constant message throughout Mark. And now we see in verse 28 that one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well. You see, he, he came hearing and seeing, right? And, and that's part of the reason why he comes with a different viewpoint than the other people did. That's why he comes more humbly than the other people did that's why he comes with a sincere question is because he has been touched by God if he's hearing and seeing it can only be that God has worked in him already and unlike the others who have come to Jesus confronting him trying to trip him up the scribe here brings Jesus an honest question humility enables us to bring our questions to Jesus so often our pride gets in the way, doesn't it? I'm so, so thankful that, that I live in an age where like if I'm going somewhere, I can just punch it into my phone and it'll literally tell me where to go, turn here, turn there. And, and I don't have to stop somewhere and ask for directions, right? Because I'm a man and men don't like to do that. Right? You laugh because it's true. You know it's true. I, I just this weekend I I, I was watching, or our, uh, maybe it was Friday. I guess we were watching a thing about Yogi Berra, the great uh, baseball player slash philosopher. Right? And, and and Yogi Berra has all these Yogiisms, these funny things he says. And and one of the ones that they highlighted was 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 once when his wife told him, she said, "Yogi, we're lost," and and he said, "Yes, but we're making great time." You know and, and and that's kind of the mindset of a man, isn't it, right? We're lost, but we're making great time. Ask for directions. No, we don't need to ask for directions. I, you know, because our pride gets in the way. Our pride gets in the way. We, we don't want to ask for directions. Because to ask questions there is to admit we don't know the answers, right? It's to admit I don't have the answers. I'm not smart enough or knowledgeable enough or, or good enough or, or something enough, Right? And so I have to go to somebody else for the answers. Humility demands looking to another. And we want to make this place at Calvary a place where we can do that. We want to encourage humility to ask questions. Ask questions of Jesus for sure. And if you have questions about Jesus, ask questions of me or of the elders of the church. Ask questions. Feel free to ask questions. Maybe you've got doubts even. Feel free to ask questions about your doubts. We don't want to run you off or get rid of you or scare you. Have the humility that will ask the question. And you know what? I hope that I, in answering those questions, will have the humility that at times when I don't know the answer, I won't do the thing that pastors so often do when they just kind of like, well, make up something and uh, you know, and, and, and kind of say a lot of fancy theological words, you know, and hope nobody really understands what you're saying and, and you sound really smart, right? No, what, what, what I need to do and what you need to do when people ask questions that you don't know the answers is we need to look to the God's Word. We say, I, I don't know the answer, but let's find it out together. Let's, let's study this. Let, let's, let's look into God's Word. Let's find out the answer, We'll work at it, we'll, we'll find the answer, we'll get it, and we'll, we'll come to a conclusion. And, and, and this church, we need to remember, is it a place for people who have all the answers? It's a place for people who are seeking answers. And it's a place that people will find that their answers or their questions are ultimately answered in the person of Christ Jesus. So the scribe had a question. He, he asked it humbly of Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? It's a great question, especially in that, that day, in that context. There were uh, scribes and Pharisees and rabbis who would debate this all the time. They had 613 commandments in the Old Testament, and which one was the, the most important one? They would debate it, uh, and not just looking for like which one had the highest ranking on the importance-o-meter, but, but the one that was like the the command that bound everything together, that tied it all together like that last missing piece in the jigsaw puzzle that just kind of completes everything and ties it all together. And Jesus answered him here in verse 29. And and we see something in that fact alone, don't we? Just that, that Jesus did answer him. Right? Because think back to those questions that everybody else has been asking Jesus up to this point. In chapter 11, verse 27, the chief priests, scribes, and elders come to him, and they, they ask him, by what authority are you doing this? And what does Jesus say to him in response? He says, well, I'll ask you a question. You know, and he asks them about what they thought about John's authority and where it came from. And when they wouldn't answer him, he wouldn't answer them. And then in chapter 12, Verse 13, some of the Pharisees and Herodians come to him and they ask, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, well, bring, bring me a denarius, right? And he showed it and said, whose image is I? He, he asked the question again, right? And, and then last week, the Sadducees, again in chapter 12, come to him and ask about the resurrection. And they have that story, you'll recall, about the woman who had had the seven husbands who kept dying and which one would she be with in the resurrection? Jesus said to them, not answering, he says instead, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Each each one of these from different angles, people were confronting him with these questions, not sincere questions, questions to trap him. And he answered none of their questions, but instead answered them with questions of his own. But here, we see something different. Jesus answered, and among all the different answers that a good rabbi might have given in that day, we see here that Jesus answers in such a way that the scribe is very clear to express his agreement. That leads us to our second point. Our interactions with Jesus must be filled with agreement. Right? Because he is the one who is truth itself. What's the context of his answer? Well, he answered, the, or the content of his answer. The most important one is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is uh, what's known as the Shema. Uh, it's a Hebrew word, Shema, it just means hear right? And it's that first word of that. It's actually taken from Deuteronomy 6, 4 and following where we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It's the most foundational statement of faith within Judaism. Even today in Judaism, it is it is recited in the uh, twice a day, as part of the morning worship and it's part of the evening worship. It's the culminating part of the the worship service of the liturgy uh, on Yom Kippur, the holiest day in Judaism. It's it's a central tenet. To understand. And the words that follow in Deuteronomy six are these: These words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk. Of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall, or they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You can see how important these words were in the context of the Jewish mind. It is saying that the God they worshiped was very different than all the other so-called gods, right? Because he was a self- existing God. He was a covenantal God. He was a faithful God. And most importantly, he was the only true God. You know, if you'll look on your bulletin, on the front of your bulletin each week, you'll actually see here uh, our mission statement and our vision statement printed there every week. Right? And our, our mission statement, it says, is we exist Our mission statement is why you exist, right? So our mission, we exist to know, worship, serve, and enjoy the one true God, right? And that echoes the words of Jesus taken from the Shema here, right? The one true God, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, it's a bold claim. It was a bold claim in Jesus' day, especially against the pantheon of all the Roman gods and Greek gods and everything that different people believed. And it's, it's a bold claim today in the midst of our relativistic world where everybody thinks that they get to determine their own truth. It's not going to make us popular to make this claim, but it's not our mission to be popular, is it? It is our po- mission to to know, worship, serve, and enjoy the one true God. And so we, as those who are descendants of Abraham by virtue of our faith in Christ Jesus and have as such been grafted into the people of God, adopted as children and as heirs, stand firm and boldly proclaim, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And just like our mission arises from that Deuteronomy 6 passage that Jesus is quoting here, so too our vision statement does. A mission statement says why we exist. Our vision statement says kind of how we go about fulfilling our mission. And you'll see that one says we seek to love God completely, to love others selflessly and everywhere proclaim Christ crucified risen and reigning forever right and, and i hope you heard that there that that's what we see in verse 30 love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind with all your strength and the second one is like it love your neighbor as yourself right that's almost almost you know i mean paraphrase to love god completely right with all your heart soul mind and strength and to love your neighbor selflessly to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And so we are to love, but we don't just love God. We love our neighbor as well. And there is no commandment greater than these. In Luke 15, Jesus speaks to the good Samaritan, right? And there's the, it answers the question of who is my neighbor? And and he reminds people, he teaches people there that my neighbor is not just the person who lives near me. It's not just the person who lives like me in a similar fashion. It's not even just a person that I like. And in fact, the, the whole question of who is my neighbor is the wrong question altogether. The question is, will I be a good neighbor to whomever God brings across my path? Consider Jesus right because he was the ultimate neighbor right not because he lived near us no he came from far far away right at great personal cost to himself and 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 he was a good neighbor not just lending us a cup of sugar right or helping us clean out the gutters no he gave his very life for us and having shown us this unparalleled neighbor love Jesus commands us to love our neighbors in the same way, out of a love for God, the one true God. And he said this is an encapsulation of the whole law. And the scribe says to him in verse 32, you're right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And just as the scribe right here agreed with Jesus, so do we. We don't have an option of creating our own gods. We don't have the option of creating our own morality. It has already been laid forth by the one who is truth itself. And so we have to have interactions with Jesus that are filled with agreement. And then finally, they must be filled with application. You know, they, they, they have to be filled with application They need to be be put into action. You know, the scribe says to Jesus, to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He is saying that God isn't just concerned with our religious observances. Right? If you came here today and are sitting in the pew and are thinking, you know what, I'm right with God now because I came to church on Sunday morning. God says, mm, not so sure. Not so sure. It's more what, what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, then I'm nothing. And if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. That's what the prophets had always proclaimed. Amos 5, I hate, God says, I despise your feasts. He's talking to very religious people here when he says this. He's talking to people who are active in their religion. They're doing all the right things that he's told them to do. They're worshiping just like he has said they should worship. And he says, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. The peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs and the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. It's what we read in Micah 6 from the prophet. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love Kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And it's what Jesus said to his disciples. We just read it before at our Unions in our unison scripture reading, right? This is my commandment that you love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I commanded you, he calls us to lay down our lives for one another, even as he has laid down his life for us, to live selflessly, to live sacrificially, to love actively. And when Jesus, in verse 34, saw that he had answered wisely, he said to this scribe, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. It's a tricky phrase, isn't it? You are not far from the kingdom of God. I mean, it's good news, isn't it? To not be far from somewhere you want to be. Well, when we go back to St. Louis to visit family there and we're driving across Illinois and there's, nothing in Illinois and we drive through Illinois and we see nothing and more nothing and it doesn't matter if it's day or night it looks the same there's nothing there but then as we get within a few miles of St. Louis there is something up on the horizon you can see it 630 feet tall stainless steel it's the gateway arch and we can see the arch up there and we know that we are close to St. Louis and it is good news but we're not there yet, right? That's the flip side of it. We're not there yet. If this scribe was close to the kingdom, that's good news. But the bad news is if he was close to the kingdom, that means he wasn't there yet. What was missing? He was asking all the right questions. He's committed to doing all the right things. What was missing? the only thing I can see that is missing is taking that final step and trusting in Christ Jesus alone. Knowing that all of our good works, all of our loving actions, all of the things that we do still are not enough to make us right with God, that we must rest ultimately in the holiness of Christ Jesus who has died for our sin and given us his righteousness. We must trust in him alone. That is the step that he needed to take, that final step. That's all that was missing. And I want to know this about you today. I ask you a question. Are you close to the kingdom of God? Perhaps you're just close. You know, you've always been in church, you know, for 20 or 30 or 92 years. And you've always tried to do good things. You've tried to love your neighbor as yourself. You've tried to worship as you should, but you've never trusted in Jesus. Jesus. You've always trusted in yourself. If that's the case, trust in him today. For his love is the great love that he has shown us and dying for us. Trust in him alone and know his love. Know his love. Share that love with others. Love one another as he has loved you, laying down his very life for you, having his body broken, pouring out his blood for you. This is what we proclaim as we come to the table on this morning. That Jesus has died. And he has died for me. Not just he died for sins kind of vaguely, but he died for my sins. And not just he died to bring life kind of vaguely, But he died to bring me life. And not just that he died because he loves, kind of vaguely, but he died because he loves me. Do you know that truth? I hope and pray that you do. If you do know that truth, then he invites you to come to his table today, to partake of his body and his blood given. For you, what a gift, what a blessing, what a wonderful feast is ours in Christ Jesus. If you do not know that truth, then I I caution you to to refrain and instead take this time to, to pray, perhaps, to consider the claims of Christ Jesus. Perhaps even now give yourself to him that he indeed might be your savior as well, that you might know his love. It is our practice here, though, that before we come to the table, we do proclaim the faith that is ours. It's printed this morning in the bulletin, in the words of the Apostles' Creed. So I invite you now to turn to that. And for all those who are his, who have trusted not in their own works, but in the works of Christ Jesus, to all who belong to him, I say, My brothers and sisters in the faith, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Apostle Paul writes, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, our God, we thank you for the great gift of salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus we thank you for the great gift of Christ Jesus that is ours through faith. And we thank you for the great gift of this feast which you now offer to us. May we partake of it, trusting in him alone, united with him and thus with one another. May this be our pledge of love for you and for our neighbor. For we pray it in Jesus name. Amen. If the elders would come forward to serve, please. The Lord Jesus truly man and yet truly God is with us always in a special way though as we partake of the elements in faith he is mystically with us in a glorious sense and so to all who trust in him alone he says take eat this is my body. when we come to the table, we do so contemplatively, soberly, considering the fact that, that in partaking of this, we are proclaiming the Lord's death, and his death is a weighty matter, not something to be trite over, not something to take lightly, for it is our sin which caused his death. But as we leave the table, we can do so joyfully, knowing that While our sin is what put him to death, it is indeed that sin that we have been washed clean of by his blood and that his body broken for us has purchased our forgiveness. And so we rise now to sing together hymn 431, and can it be that I should gain?